were just singing uh, Reckless Love at the end, I just felt to, I felt the Holy Spirit say to my heart that I needed to reconsider His love. I think I probably am guilty of this. I preach a lot of messages trying to encourage us all how we need to adjust something about the way we think or the way that we believe or how we act, and yet it all starts with the love of Christ. If we catch a glimpse and then consider his love for us, having been enemies of his and now having been brought into the kingdom of light, when you consider that kind of love, it, it, you can't process it with just your natural mind because it's opposite of everything your instinct tells you to live like. Your instinct as a homo sapien is to survive, just like every other animal species. And you survive by getting to the food before all the other animals get to the food. Just watch Animal Planet or one of those TV shows, Discovery, and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. Animals know if we don't get there first and claim our stakes, something bigger and stronger is going to come and take it and we're going to starve out. This is the law of nature, survival of the... So you knew it. You were taught... I don't believe in Darwinian evolution, but I do believe that there are certain laws of nature which are just observable and very plain. Survival of the fittest is the law that we're born with as a species that we live by in order to survive. And then if Christ doesn't come into our heart and show us a different love so that we can receive a different nature, we will live our lives, maybe not as barbaric as lion, a pride of lions or hyenas, or maybe, maybe we will. There are certain, watch certain documentaries on gang life and things like that in the inner city where it really is territorial and very tribal and very power-based. It is very animalistic how quickly we can go back to the way and the nature we were just born with. But the Lord is asking us to consider the love that he showed us when he took our place on the cross. He's asking us all. I know he was asking me and I'm trying to process it because when I begin to consider it, I can't do it with my natural mind. I just have to open my heart and say, okay, Lord, this is a love that goes beyond understanding. And yet it's the love that he showed to us. Love is so anti, I was going to say non, no, it's, it's anti-instinctive. It means you give more of yourself, you get less, and everybody around you benefits. That's what love is. God love, agape love, the sacrificial love that Jesus showed to our lives is that he came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And John 15 is very clear. I think verse 13 says that there's no greater love that you can have than to lay down your life for a friend. That means I give, you get, and everyone around my life benefits at my expense. That's God love. And Jesus took the whole law and said, you know what? You can just put that on the back shelf and just grab these two. Love God and love your neighbor. How should I love my neighbor? The way that you love yourself. But see, because if you think about the instinct of self-survival and self-maintenance that we're born with, now when Christ comes in, we're to love others opposite of what that love initially was in us. That they now benefit from our life. We don't benefit from theirs. You see what I mean? It's not, it's anti-sensible to the way that we're born and the way that we're just 
brought into this planet. And if we don't consider Christ's love in a, in a serious way, it'll be impossible for us to then turn around and freely give away the kind of love that he had for us. Because you can only do it by faith because people aren't always going to appreciate you, are they? How many have done something nice for someone and they've just like... <laughs> something simple like maybe holding a door or offer to pay for someone's groceries or help them with their gas. I've had, I've had people be so grateful when you try to just go outside of yourself to be generous and I've had people just... Like, what do you think you are, better than me? And they just get all, it's more rare, that response. Most of the time, if you want to buy my gas or groceries, I'll be, I'll be quick to receive that gift. I want you to get blessed. I'll be happy to be on the receiving end of that. So don't worry. If you see me, I'm, I'm fair game for blessing. You can bless my socks off. I'll be very thankful. But not everybody has that. People are still in that, what do they want from me? They're very suspicious. We're born that way. But Christ's nature requires that we begin every decision that we make and every interaction with the consideration, how did Jesus love me? The Bible's clear. We first, he, we love him because he first loved us. You can't love others if you don't first experience the love of Christ. Not with God kind of love. That's at your expense. I don't know, the holidays are upon us. I think it's, there's a lot of sale shopping and looking for how much can I get for how little that I have to spend. And that's smart, do that. I'm not saying don't do that. But when it comes to relationships and it comes to showing love to people, don't be surprised if it costs you. If it's not appreciated, Jesus did not just come and give his life for his friends. He did that, but he also gave his life for all of his enemies. For those who would never do more than just crucify him and say, well, just my job that's what I had to do it is what it is he gave his life for them too he gave his life for those who would receive him and he gave his life for those who would reject him I think we have a pretty strict filter sometimes about who we're willing to make sacrifices for and I think the Lord this holiday season especially is, is just putting a demand on us by the spirit by challenge by exhortation to consider who will I love this year that probably won't appreciate it maybe will never even acknowledge it and at what expense will it cost my own reality and my own life? Forgiveness was never supposed to just come without some pain. Sometimes it hurts to forgive people because you're letting go of certain things that you get used to feeling about them and you just have to let it go. Why? Because Jesus forgave you. When you see his forgiveness to you, it's easy to ex extend that forgiveness to others. The same with his love. I just feel, I feel like we're being called to a deeper place. A deeper place of understanding and considering his love for us. If we don't start there, we're just going to frustrate ourselves trying to love other people. We'll stop as soon as they stop appreciating it. It's not the kind of love our Savior has demonstrated to us. And I believe this morning I was just supposed to bring that as an encouragement to all of us. Reconsider his love for you. Get alone. Open the word. Read through the gospel of John, perhaps. Reconsider what he has done for us and at what expense that he was willing to cover did our salvation come to us the gift of everlasting life at whose expense did that come it's a beautiful gift and I just pray that we can keep that in the front focus of our minds as we move into the season where people again there's a lot of elbows start to fly right trying to grab the last box all the people make movies about this because it just tickles us makes us laugh a little bit but that instinct is in all of us if we get outside of what the Lord has for us and that's to show his love to a dying world not our best attempt at his love his love our expense their benefit 
Thank you, Jesus. This morning, I want to start in a spot. You can keep playing if you want. I feel like I'm going to, I'm going to shift into something here. I was just so blessed by the way the Lord's been leading us in, in worship and in baptisms. We had some folks jump in that you could tell they weren't really um, planning to. And um, I just love when the Lord stirs people's hearts because he can do it. Isn't that amazing? No sermon, no special introduction, just the Lord just stirring someone's heart to want to do something that they know uh, is, is for them to do. But as we moved into Thanksgiving already, I hope everyone had a wonderful Thanksgiving. I know we, we certainly did. It's, it's bittersweet for some. I know that holidays can be difficult and holidays can be incredible, um, but there's still, it's the holiday season. And we're in this season. As I've been just considering seasons, I, I, I want to, I've, seasons for me has always been a big theme of my life. I understand, you know, people get critical of different people because they're in a certain spot and we can easily say, well, they just need to do this, this, and this to to get out of that spot. And sometimes that's true. And sometimes it's because the Lord has them in a certain season and they won't stay there forever, but they're in a season and winter looks different than summer, than spring, than fall. Every season has its own unique attributes and we've got to learn how to walk through the seasons, but we're in the holiday season and as I began to think about seasons, I started to, to just jot down thoughts as they came to me about seasons of life. And we don't have, you know, I'm not a, a developmental psychologist or anything. I don't have a degree to understand how to rightly divide it. So I just picked three. I feel like, you know, the beginning, the middle, and the end, it's, that's as broad of a, a detail you're going to get with the seasons of our life. But I just began to just jot down different thoughts that came to me. And as the, I prayed about it and looked through scripture, I feel like it's important for us to consider this. Because the Bible is very clear that there are seasons on earth that the Lord has planned for them. And we would say that if you're a student of the word and prophecy, you'd say that we are in the season, the, the global season on earth of what's called the end times. And it's kind of this, when you read the descriptions of it in Daniel and some of the Old Testament prophets in Revelation, it's kind of like this big climactic event. And yet it's very much feels like winter and cold when you consider the realities and the, and the atrocities and the things that will happen on this planet that the Lord created that sin then hijacked and ran into the ground. We recognize it's, it's not a time of just warmth and happy for, for those of us who have a promise of everlasting life. It can be that in the midst of the storm, absolutely. But for the world and the planet at large, there's this season that I think we're in. And it's important for us more than ever to consider how we will respond in these seasons. And that's why we had the School of the Supernatural happening downstairs on Sunday mornings to just equip people to do acts of faith and to see miracles and to trust God for the impossible. We have class happening up here teaching us just how to be prepared, how to get in the Word and find out what equipment we've been giving. And we, that's happening at 9 o'clock every Sunday morning. Some people avail themselves and some people don't. Hopefully you're studying on your own and you're growing that way. That's fine. But the reality is we've got to be equipped, prepared. No one likes getting caught off guard. I certainly don't. I don't even like surprise birthday parties or anniversary parties. Just let me know it's happening. I'll be more, I'll benefit more from it knowing that it's happening than if you say surprise. It just doesn't, as soon as I hear that word, I'm just like, oh boy. And thankfully, my wife and I share that sentiment. So if you want to show your love to us, don't do any surprises for us. We're happy to just know that you love us and we can say that we love each other and that's, that's perfect for us. We don't need uh, to be a surprise to feel the love. But some people, that's different. They have different love language, but... I don't like getting caught off guard. I don't like surprises in that way. I mean, I guess my brain always goes for, as a scientist, I'm trying to measure both sides. I'm thinking of the opposite side as I'm saying what I'm saying. If you want to surprise me with a lottery ticket or something, like we'd have a Powerball, uh, 
over a billion dollars or something like that, then I'd be happily surprised if you want to bless me with one of those. Um, that, that wouldn't, you know, I'd figure out how to deal with the initial offense, I'm sure. <laughs> but uh, so this, this idea of seasons of life, as I just started, I'm just going to go through some of the initial thoughts, and I kind of put them where I thought they, they fit. If you think about life, we call it a lifetime, right? We all have a lifetime, a lifespan. We say in someone's lifetime, they did these different things. Life and time, as we know it, are connected. When time stops, your life here is marked. There's a marker on your stone that'll say when it started here and when it ended here. Your, that's your lifetime between those two dates. Time and life, as we know it here, is measured they're, they're paired together. A lifetime is what we have to deal with, and it makes you think about how blessed those are who've gone beyond this lifetime into a place where there's no more time. Time's no longer, or maybe there's time, but it's not measured anymore in the way that we understand it. The sun doesn't rise and set. It says he's the light of that place. There's no sun or moon. There's no need for it because he's the light of the place that he's bringing us to in the heavenly Jerusalem. I don't know if you read the end of the book. It's good sometimes to jump ahead and realize that this ends very well for those of us who believe. It encourages your faith and your boldness. But it's, it's, it's now while we're here, we still have to process life in increments of time. You have to do it. If you try to get outside of it, you, you know, we know those folks that are late for everything or early for everything. They just can't grasp time. And they, we have to try to accommodate their lives because it's just they're not in the, the flow of where they need to be. And so within our lifetime, there's seasons, though, and we're going to talk about a couple of those. Time is an amazing thing. It's, it, there's a fixed amount of it for each person. Did you know that? There's a fixed amount of it for each person. I'm sorry if this is over anybody's head this morning. I'm trying to keep it simple. There's a fixed amount of time for every life that we have. God knows that he's numbered our, he knows our days. He's planned for them. And the more that we walk in obedience to what he's uh, blessed us with, we can benefit the kingdom that he's, he's called us to be a part of and he's empowered us to live out here on earth. But if you don't value your time, you, kind of, you can waste it very easily. Who knows about wasting time? I'm trying to teach my teenagers, younger, it doesn't matter, all, even before then, what it means to waste. What do you mean it's a waste of time to play with my thumbs on a, on a controller for six plus hours at a clip? What do you mean that's a waste of time? What else am I going to, like, it's just when you get to a certain age, you realize that, that time is precious because there's a fixed amount of it. If there's, an, if there's a fixed amount of a commodity, it becomes more and more precious. And the smaller that commodity, the, the volume of that commodity is, like gold or diamonds or these precious metals we call them, the, the less there are, the more they're worth, right? The shorter something is, the more precious it is. And we hear that we talk about time is short and time is seeming like moving faster than ever. I want to encourage us this morning. It matters. The little decisions that maybe we as kids didn't think were super important just starting out. We've got to recognize there's gravity, there's weight, there's time that will be invested in how we handle different realities of our life that we can't afford to get wrong when we're kind of in the crunch time. There's some mistakes you can make in the first quarter of a basketball game, but you can't make them in the last 30 seconds or you're going to lose the game. You understand, or a football game, pick your sport and just put that in there. I want to encourage us this morning. I think this is an encouraging word, but it's challenging because it challenges me because I find myself somewhere, in, I would say, in the middle. I don't know how many, how the Lord has numbered my days, but I do believe that I'm in the middle of my time. I just turned 50, and... Um, I don't really want to think about being 100, but I know I've at least, I, can, I know for sure I've made it from zero to 50, so we're, we're good with, I'll say half. Um, but you know, my grandma's going to be 100 in January. That's the, we just spent Thanksgiving with her, and so it's just, it seems like surreal to think that way, and yet 
got to have Thanksgiving dinner sitting next to someone who's 99, about to be 100, and uh, still has their full faculties and walks around the house. It's just an amazing gift to have her in my life, um, just to remind us that the Lord, He just He sustains people. He's, it's amazing how some people can just seem to find a way to just keep keep going. Energizer Bunny, still going. Uh, but the, the, rarity, the rarity of a thing increases its value, and so we know there's a fixed amount of time, and I want to look at the first season of life, because I know that this is probably maybe where someone, I don't know what the age is, I can, you can never put an age to it, maybe it's 20, 30 years old before then, you know, you still have spare time, you have time, you, time to kill, isn't that one you hear people who say, oh, I've just got time to kill, so I'm going to go, man, I, I remember when I had time to kill, I remember saying those words, but who... Who in the middle part, like in the either side of 50, has time to just kill? If you do, man, I'm uh, needing to get some, some notes from you because the more I look around at what's to be done and the amount of time that's left on a day's you know, clock to finish it, I realize, man, I'm going to have to add some of that to tomorrow's list. It just feels like there's not enough time here in the, in the middle. But starting out in the beginning, everything that we can do is, is pri- I put it down here, it's primarily ability-based. Ability-based. If you talk to a five or a seven-year-old, all they want to talk to you about is what they can do. I can throw a ball. I can hit a ball. I can, right? It's, it's ability-based. Oh, I can do that. I can run this fast. Oh, I can run this fast. And my dad can run this fast. They'll even talk about dads and what dads can do. From a very young age, we're primarily, we're, our thoughts are engineered around what I can do. I can ride a bike. I can do it without training wheels, right? It's the season of life where it's all, the only limit to your life is your ability to do the next thing. And so kids strive to do the next thing. They see their, their neighbor get a, riding a skateboard, like, oh, I'm going to learn how to ride a skateboard. They want to be able to do what everybody else can do. And it's very competitive. Kids, especially boys, will be real quick to say, I can do it better than you, and I can run faster or throw it farther or hit it right? I can dunk a ball and I can dunk a a real basketball, not just a baseball. And I just remember going back all the way up into high school somewhere. Our lives are primarily measured by what we can do. Does that make sense? Does that sound about right? Just the natural experience of life. And so there's all this, what can I do? I remember, you know, we'd be jealous of some of our neighbor's uh, moms because they would let their kids stay up later. They were allowed to stay up later. And really that phase of life, what, what else could I do? Oh, I heard some mumbling over there. I think Ernie was letting his kids do crazy things. It was your daughter that was, that was saying something. Yeah? Okay. Okay. <laughs> Ernie, should have stayed. You, you thought about not coming to church, didn't you? You're probably like, oh, I should just stay home and rest, rest up. Sorry, buddy. <laughs> But I, I remember that. We, we would compare. There was so much comparing. You know, some parents would let their kids walk to the general store or take their bikes down to the general store, but we maybe weren't allowed, or they weren't allowed, but we were allowed. There was all this comparison about what can you do, and I think I've made that point pretty clear. But that first phase of life was governed primarily by the authority in your life, what your parents or your authority figures told you you were able to go and do, whether it was a physical ability or it was a permission that you needed. And so the first phase of life, it's, 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 it is what it is. It's just, you know, often you'd hear the words, you're not old enough, you're not big enough. You know, the fair, you go to the thing. Well, you're not tall enough yet. You haven't gotten to the point where you're able to do the next thing. And I think it's interesting because as I've prayed about this, it looks like God's great dance floor. I love that song. Gets me all fired up to be singing it while people are getting baptized. Man. 
And so in 1 Peter chapter 2, we had, we finished uh, 1 Peter chapter 1 as we were working through Peter. So I think it's fitting that we continue on with what we'd said we're going to do. We're going to go through the book of uh, 1 and 2 Peter. And the first word of verse 1 is therefore. And so if you have a therefore, we've heard many times, you have to see what it's there for. If you've studied English, you know that the word therefore comes after a statement that's already been made. And so I want to look back to First uh, Peter chapter 1 and just finish at the end of that one, why that therefore is there. And it's, I'll just go back a few verses because this is where the thought begins. It's called the enduring word. It says, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the, through the spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. You can't love someone with a, fervently with an impure heart. It'll become selfish, right? But once you've obeyed the truth and the spirit has come into your life, you can now love people fervently with a pure heart. And here's why in verse 23, having been born again, not of a corruptible seed, but an incorruptible seed through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Temporary, corruptible, compared with incorruptible and eternal. And verse 24 says, because all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Do you see the contrast? The temporary world is passing away and everything that lives here and is beautiful here. There's nothing more pretty than flowers, but it's temporary and eventually it falls away. However, the word but in verse 25 says, but the word of the Lord endures forever, permanent, eternal. And then it goes on to say, Peter says, now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. The eternal word, the incorruptible word, the seed has transformed us. We're no longer just mere earthlings and mere homo sapiens. We have been born again, not of the homo sapien seed, but of an eternal spiritual seed that lives and abides forever. Is everybody okay with that? That's called the new creation miracle. It's called being born again. Jesus made it very clear that that is the way into the kingdom. You have to be born again. Again, read John chapter 3 if you need help with that understanding. And so then we go into the next chapter of of, uh, 1 Peter in chapter 2. And so understanding that there's a temporary life that we're born into and that there's an eternal life that's been born in us. Considering that, because of that, therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. I'll pause there for a minute. That's just verse 1. There's a lot of material there, but you can just... When I, when I read this, I thought, it's interesting. Most of these things have to do with what comes out of our mouth. Right? We've been born... The gospel was preached to us, to us by the eternal word, the incorruptible word, and it's, that's what we're born again by. But it says, therefore, we have to lay aside all these things. So there's a new life born in us, but there's still a choice that we have to make. When we open our mouth, what will we allow out of it? And what will we grab a hold of and be like, wait a minute, that sounds like the old me that's been dealt with and not the new me that I've been born again, the incorruptible seed, which is the word of God. And so we, we have to catch it. I mean, it says deceit. How do you deceive someone? With your words, right? You tell a lie. Hypocrisy. How do you be a hypocrite? You do different than you, than you say. 
You say one thing and you do something else. That's a hypocrite. Look at all these things that he's talking about. Watch how many have to do with our words. Envy. Well, we could say envy or jealousy. That's a heart issue. But I don't know how I've been just casually hear people say, oh, I'm just so jealous of that person. Oh, I'm just so, they'll flat out say, I'm just, I'm so jealous. Oh, she makes me so jealous or he makes me so jealous. Peter's like, compared to what you've received in this new creation, there's no reason to be jealous or envious of anyone. You have God on the inside of you. Therefore, lay aside all that stuff. Don't compare yourself even to the the people that are living life next to you and around you and part of your social networks. Their opinions and their lives don't have any impact, and they shouldn't unless you give it to them, on the life that you're called to live because it's a new life. Don't envy them. Don't be jealous of them. They don't know what you know. They don't know who you know. And so we have to lay aside. And then he makes it very clear. He finishes with the last thing that we have to lay aside is all evil speaking. He probably could have just said that initially, but he wanted us to realize that all these different things, they all come from a tongue that still speaks against the new nature that's been born in us through the incorruptible seed. And guess what we get to do? Lay it aside or not. People would love to make this all about this, just God waves the wand over us and suddenly now we just angelic for the rest of our life. No, you have a choice. Every moment, every radio dial that you touch, every TV remote that you press the buttons on, you get to choose what goes into you. No one's making you do that. You can't, your thumb's not making you do that. What are you going to blame it on? We get to choose. We get to choose what books we open to read. We get to choose whether we open the Word of God or not. We get to choose these things. This life of faith is a, it's a hand in a glove. It's a foot in a shoe. It's, it's us working with the Lord. It's not just him magically doing a life for us that we just get to, oh, wow, this is cool, and this puppet on a string. That is not good doctrine. That's not the doctrine of the new creation miracle. There are things that you can't do for yourself that Christ did for you, and you can't do anything except receive it by faith. And then there's a whole bunch that you're given the ability to now do that no one's going to do it for you. He's not going to go out and preach the gospel for you. That's why he sent them out two by two to go and preach the gospel. Do you understand? We can complain about the world around us, or we can realize we've been sent as the very agents into it, the light and the salt, to change the worlds in which we live. It's exciting when you take it by faith, but it's intimidating if you're in a place of fear and you're like, oh, I don't really know if it'll work. It's 2,000 years since this was unleashed on the planet, and we're still here singing about it and, and reading books about it and praying about it. So I think it was pretty effective. We've just got to decide to line our lives up with the truths of what we find here. So, okay, let's go on to 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2. This is the emphasis of what I want to bring the point home this morning. Verse 2 says, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is gracious. As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Let me read out a couple different versions just see if we can get, get, get the essence of what Peter's trying to say here. And the Amplified, it says, like newborn babies, you should long for the pure milk of the word. So that by it you may be nurtured and grow in respect to salvation, which is its ultimate fulfillment. If in fact you have already tasted the goodness and gracious kindness of the Lord. The pure, so that you may grow thereby. The same word, the gospel that transformed our lives that Peter writes about in the end of the first chapter is the same word that then grows our lives. 
It's not one and then another. The gospel doesn't just birth you again to salvation. It then nourishes you. The word of God continues to nourish your life until you grow into the fullness and the measure and the stature of our Lord Jesus Christ. The New Living Translation says it this way. It says, like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment. It's, it's, pretty, it's pretty clear. If you're not growing, you're either eating the wrong stuff or you're not eating. If you've ever had newborn babies, you understand one of the most critical things they're watching for when you go to the almost more important than anything else. They check their breathing and they weigh them. Why? Because if they're not adding weight, something's wrong. If they're not growing, we know as newborn babies need to grow, as believers having been born and transformed by the word, we now have to grow by the same word. By how? By craving it, by ingesting it, by reading it, by praying about it, by meditating on it, by making it part of ourselves. Let's read what the message translation says. It says, so clean house, make a clean sweep of malice and pretense and envy and hurtful talk. You've now had a taste of God. Like little infants at the breast, drink deep of God's pure kindness. Leave it to the message translation to go so graphic, right? We always knew there was something wrong with the message. <laughs> yeah, like a baby at the breast. I mean, sorry, infant at the breast. <laughs> That's exactly, it's exactly the essence of what Peter's trying to say. You ever, how do you know when a baby needs to eat? Everyone in the room is going to know. It's, it's either need something changed on the bottom side or hungry i wonder how many of us get cranky and we're just like stressed or anxious or whatever why because we just haven't eaten the right stuff think about it for a minute peter is saying this is the one jesus said just go and feed my sheep take care of my lambs he's given us food in the second chapter of what he's written he's only written i think 28 verses at this point and he's going straight to the best illustration this fisherman can think of and he's thinking about the way that you see a baby just need its mother is the best way he can come up with explaining how if you don't have the milk of the word of god you're not going to grow thereby you're going to grow by some other kind of words that are feeding your life. And it's not going to look anything like the fullness and measure and stature of Jesus. It's going to look very much like the old person that you were originally born with because that nature is still hungry. The flesh still has cravings. And Peter begins to write more in the rest of this chapter. We're not going to get to it today. But the reality is we have an appetite. The spirit within us has an appetite and needs to grow. But it needs to be fed with the word, the truth of the Lord. It can't be satisfied with anything else. It won't look like what it's supposed to look like. We'll grow in directions, but they won't be the direction of looking like Jesus. Why? Because he, I mean, how else can he say it more plainly? Back to the New King James Version. I don't want to even take a chance and go and read what anybody else wrote. I don't think the message is going to be, ah, oh, the King James, that would be fun. As newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. If so be ye have, I love that, if so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Still got some new King Jamers? I mean, some, some old King Jamers in the church? Oh, good for you, Ari. It's fun to read, isn't it? It's more fun to quote. Quoting an old, an old King James scripture, boy. But as newborn babes desire the pure milk, so let your desire for the pure milk, pure, 
pure milk of the word be so that you can grow thereby. I'm not going to be able to go, go further than that. The same word that transforms us is the same word that then grows us. Maybe I should try to leave it at that so that we actually, I often say so much on a Sunday morning and it, I know there's probably a little nugget for a lot of different people, but we have to get this as a body, as a family unit, as a church family unit. It can't just be that we have great worship and great presence of the Lord in our services, which we do. It can't be that we just have great teaching at nine o'clock, which we do. It can't be the great bagels at 10 o'clock, which we have those too. And the great coffee, and we so appreciate the hospitality staff. If you've never helped out in the church at all, consider, jump in there. Don't cut your fingers off cutting bagels, but, you know, we'll start you with a butter knife or something. I'm not sure. I don't know. Laughter sometimes helps me just keep things simple in my mind. They get too complicated. It's like you just furrow your brow. If I can laugh at something, I can usually grasp it. This is that simple. Jesus said you can separate the law that was with the new one that I'm giving you and achieve an even more glorious result on this earth. Love God and love your neighbor as passionately as you loved yourself before you came to Christ. That's, that's the essence of this gospel message. And the beautiful thing is you can't do it on your own. You have to rely on the Holy Spirit to do it. You can't do it in your own strength. You're not going to crave the milk of the word. You're not going to wake up thinking, I've got to get a scripture in my heart right now from scripture. Lord, where should I be? Maybe you're doing a read through the Bible. Maybe you're just in a sp specific book. Maybe you're in one passage and you're just continuing to read it over and over. I do want to jump ahead to one more scripture. Because I've, I've referenced... this one already and maybe I mean I keep saying what I think we're going to do next week and hopefully next week we'll look at the middle section of our lives because I feel like that's where a lot of us are and there's a whole unique set of challenges that face us in the middle sections of our lives where mom and dad are no longer the ones that kind of have the reins on us but we now have something that is called self-control or, or we don't have it and we've got to look at the nature of those middle years but there's something very very precious that the writer in Psalm 119 put together for us. And I believe this is why we have to consider how we're teaching our children because there is a specific set of days that we all have, especially just because they're young doesn't mean their days aren't numbered. We all have to learn this early. But Psalm 90 in verse 12 just says this. So teach us. I said 119 and then I jumped to 90. Sorry. This one caught my eye. I'm just seeing if you can do subtraction. Psalm 90. It's 29 chapters before 119. So teach us in verse 12. It says, so teach us. Imagine that. You've got to be taught something. Something you don't know yet. So teach us to number our days. Teach us to number our days. Why? So that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. All right, that's for you. That's King James Version. Teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. 
it's easy to apply our hearts in a whole bunch of directions. Opposite of wisdom being foolishness. How many things grab our attention and concern us and think we just have to have them because someone else does? Maybe even go into debt doing that. The Lord says so clearly, teach us to number our days. What is there about acknowledging that the time of our life, our lifetime, is finite, and therefore every moment and increment of it becomes precious? What is there about that that connects so perfectly to the transition point of applying our lives to what's really wisdom and not just chasing after wind or something that's just going to blow away in the end? Can you hear what the Lord is telling us this morning? From loving with the love that he's loved us with, considering that. Get into the word. I'm going to read through the gospel of John myself this week. I just felt that in my, you don't have to do it, but I would encourage you to. It's way beyond Jesus just being born in a manger. It goes through a life of sacrifice and difficulty and hardship to a crucifixion so that there could be moments like this where people could decide to come and commit themselves in a tank full of water to just before us as witnesses declare that they are being raised to a new life in Christ. Isn't that powerful? Let's stand together this morning. I don't know about you, but I would rather live my life with the moments of it applied in the direction of wisdom than the things that the world says I need. Father, we just come before you now. We stand here in your presence. Having had such a wonderful Thanksgiving, we're just so thankful, Lord, this season of the holidays. We know there are things that we'll look forward to and get excited about, but Lord, most of all, we're excited about you. We're excited, Lord, that you're here with us, that your hand is upon every single one of us, that, Lord, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Let's just say that to God. There's so many coughs happening as we still. Let's just declare that over every immune system in this room. Ready? Let's do it together. For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. That means that what's been made on the inside of you is fearful to the enemy and to invading bacteria and viruses. It's fearful to them. And it's wonderful because it's more powerful than them. Let's say it one more time. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. <laughs> Therefore, the one that designed light to live inside of you is greater than the one who would like to bring darkness into you. And so, Father, right now we just thank you that you're just descending by your spirit health and vitality and healing, infusing every person who can hear online and in this room the sound of my words right now, that you are invading the space of the inside of us, reminding us by faith that we've already been fearfully and wonderfully made. We trust you, Lord. You are doing a work on the inside of us that's so superior to what this world can synthesize. You are healing us from within by your word, by the word that created this universe, by the word by which it's all held together, by the word that transformed our lives through faith when we heard the gospel, the same word that now grows us up in our most holy faith. Your word, the entrance of your word, Jesus. Father, we thank you that we will number our days and we will consider how precious they are because there will be an account that we give for them. And we want to stand before you, Lord, and know that we have used our lives for your glory to love people with a love that we didn't give to ourselves, but you gave it to us when you showed us how much you loved us. Lord, we thank you for a life that's lived outside of time that's been promised to us. 
That as you said in John 3.16, that there was a love that was in your heart for you so loved this world that you gave your only begotten Son that whoever would believe in Him would not perish but would have everlasting life. Life outside of a time-compressed stamp. Jesus, we thank you that life is now living inside of us. And Lord, by the confidence we have in you, we thank you that that light in that life will rise up and will supersede and will conquer anything that the, the corruption of this world would try to bring into this holy temple that you've called home. Do you know that he's called your body his home, his temple, the place that he lives? Do you know that we have the treasure of heaven in an earthen vessel, according to what Peter wrote? So Father, we thank you this morning that greater is he is in us than the one that's in this world. And we stand in that confidence. We go out of this place in that confidence. We're not intimidated and afraid. Lord, we know that we are fearfully and wonderfully made by you to live out a life that glorifies you. And we thank you for that touch, that heaven coming to earth touch that we have experienced here in your presence this morning. In Jesus' name.